0: You're listening to a sermon from Redemption Church, Calgary North. We exist to see lost people saved, saved people matured, and mature people multiplied, all to the glory of God. For more information, visit RedemptionCalgaryNorth.com. Well, it's good to come together again this morning and to to worship the King, uh, to be reminded uh, of where our hope lies this morning as we... As we think about our lives on this earth, just a, a brief moment in time compared to eternity. And uh, we want to welcome those uh, joining us online again this morning. Again, mindful of the fact that for a variety of reasons, people can't be here. And so um, we just uh, want to welcome you and, uh, and pray that as we look at the word together this morning, that the Spirit of God would lead us and guide us. And uh, that's uh, part of what we're going to be looking at this morning is the fact that that. As a result of the new covenant this morning, we have the Spirit of God indwelling us. And uh, I think 2,000 years later, sometimes we can kind of take it for granted. And what Paul's going to do is, is kind of take us back as to what took place through Christ, how there's been this change from the old covenant to the new covenant. And I think it's just helpful this morning to maybe just take a minute to remember where we're, like how, what's the trajectory here? Uh, When you go week after week after week, uh, sometimes you forget the bigger picture, right? And uh, I just want to go back to to chapter 5, verse 20, and be reminded that that there Paul said, now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. And and what was needed after making that statement was an entire chapter, chapter 6, to say, what does he mean by that? that? That through grace... That uh, sorry that uh, through yeah sorry that through grace sin is no more. What does that What does that mean? That that when when where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. Now of course in six one he said, so shall we sin that grace might abound even more? Like should we just have a lifestyle of sin? And so the entire chapter six was like not that's not the case. And halfway through the chapter, the section that we looked at uh, last week, six fourteen, it says for sin will have no dominion over you since you're not under law but under grace. And this, not under law but under grace, would have been a really difficult thing to hear if you were a Jewish person at the time of of Christ, at the time when Paul is writing this. For them, the law was everything. So when you say you're no longer under the law but under grace, they're going to have lots of questions. And so as we transition into chapter 7, that's the whole focus of this chapter. What is, it, what is our relationship now to law? Paul, what do you mean we're not under the law? I mean, God gave us the law. What do you mean that, that we're not under that? 35 times in one way or the other, the law is highlighted in this chapter. And uh, last, uh, last uh, chapter, chapter 6, we called it gospel reality, this chapter we're going to be calling it gospel liberty, that through Christ we are now free from the law, and uh, that's what's going to be highlighted as we look at the first six verses. If you want to turn there this morning, we're going to look at the first six verses today, and it's going to take us three weeks to go through chapter seven. We're going to get to um, Palm Sunday. We're going to focus on the events of that time, of Palm Sunday we're going to have Easter, and then after Easter, we're going to do chapter 8, which will take us to the summer, all right? So uh, lots to talk about in chapter 8. And again, just kind of looking at the lay of the land here, 7, 1 through 6, he kinda, he's going to end on talking about the Spirit, and then 7 through 25, he's going to be like, you still don't understand the whole, how the whole law thing works, let me explain that, and then he's going to get back to how do we live by the Spirit in the entire chapter 8, but we're going to get there in the weeks to come. So, 7, 1 through 6. Let me read it, and then we're going to get into it. Or do you not know, brothers, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that, while, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives. For a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives, but if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. Accordingly, she will be called For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions, aroused by the law, were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. And we pray. Lord God, we are so thankful for your word. Lord, without your word, Lord, we would be lost. We would... Would be without direction, but God, you have revealed yourself to us through this word that we might grow in our knowledge of who you are, and then, Lord, what, who we are as a result, and what we need to do. God, we are so thankful this morning that, as we just read, that we no longer live by the letter of the law, but Lord, we live by your Spirit. Lord, we are a privileged people and that we live on this side of the cross. Lord, that we are now under a new covenant through Jesus Christ. Lord, we pray that as we study your word this morning, that your spirit would lead us and would guide us. God, we, we fully admit again this morning that if left to ourselves, Lord, we would never understand these things. But God, you're a good God, a loving God, a caring God. And so, Lord, you've made a way for us to understand these things. Lord, as we learn, God, would you transform us? Would you change us? Would you make us more and more like your Son? That we might bear more and more fruit for your glory and for your honor. Lord, lead this preacher now, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so three realities... Of the Christian's liberty is what we're going to see this morning. Three realities of the Christian's liberty. The first is that we've been freed from the law. This is what he's talking about in verses 1 through 3. He gives us the statement, verse 1, then he gives us an illustration of the statement in verses 2 and 3. Again, let's read verse 1. Or do you not know, brothers, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives? Again and again, in chapter 6 and now again, he's saying, do you not know? In other words, you should know these things. It's important that you would understand what I'm telling you. I love that he says here, brothers, the, the word is Adelphoi. It could be brothers, it could be sisters. It's to say that we're a part of the family of God. This is what he's saying by this. This last year, it was kind of like we're ready for a fight. I was kind of confused. I thought the Spanish flu thing came and then World War II, because then I was like, oh, that, or World War I. I was like, that makes sense. And then I was like, oh, no, that was at the end of it. But, but you know what I'm saying? Like, everyone's a little feisty these days, and, and, and not just outside the church. And I think just, I wanted to just take a moment to notice that when Paul is dealing with difficult issues, he does so lovingly. That's a really good note for you and I today, if we would disagree with other believers. Listen, it's to be done in love. It's to be done with compassion. And the whole point of it is to point us to Jesus, right? It's not to win an argument. Anytime we have a disagreement, we should be low, we should be humble, just as Paul is demonstrating here. He was the apostle. He was the apostle to the Gentiles, right? He could have been up on a lofty, you know, place like some of the what we see in the garb of Christianity today, you know, look at me, I'm so holy. Like, that's not, that's not Christianity, right? That's not truly following Christ. It's like Paul here, it says like, brothers and sisters, we're all in this together. We all have one Lord, His name is Jesus Christ. Let's follow Him. And so, again, just want to take note of that. Or do you not know, brothers? For I am speaking to those who know the law. Now, our automatic assumption is that he's just talking to Jewish believers. But think about, again, the time and what he's writing to. He's writing when they did not have Matthew through Revelation. All they had was Genesis to Malachi. And so even the Gentile believers, what would they study on a Sunday morning? It would be the Old Testament. It would be that which God had given to them already. And so they would have been familiar with the law as well. So not just... the the Jewish believers, but also the Gentile believers. And he's saying that, do you not know, that there's something that you should understand as those who know the law. Then he says this, that the law is binding on a person only as long as he lives. Now, as you read books like Galatians and others, there there was this real battle that was going on in the early church. It was like, okay, yeah, we got saved through Jesus, but now the law. It's all about the law. You have to live by the letter of the law. And there's this, you know, the whole book of Galatians is written about that, right? For example, in Galatians 2.16, we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by the works of the law, no one will be justified, and so there's this kind of thinking, we get in the door through Jesus, but then get right back to the works of the law. We got we to gotta, we gotta, we gotta prove ourselves to God by fulfilling the works of the law. And Paul continually was battling this. You have to remember that the law was a really big deal for the Jewish person. In fact, they believed that by following the law, you would be saved. That's how they thought you were You were saved. You had to follow the law. If you followed it, then you would be saved. That's not true. MacArthur put it like this, By the time of Christ, many Jews considered obedience to God's law to be not only the demonstration of salvation's godliness that God intended it to be, but also the means of salvation, which God never intended. Faithfulness to the law came to supersede faith in the God who gave the law, As illustrated through the gospel accounts, such Jews often accused Jesus of contradicting and disobeying the Mosaic law. How rich is that, right? Jesus who walked in perfect obedience. The Pharisees are like, "Wow, you keep keep disobeying the law. They thought they were the authorities about what the law said. They had missed the point. This This is still a problem today, even though many of us are not of a Jewish heritage. We still think that we can somehow earn our way into heaven if we just do the right things. If we just follow the right pathway, we can somehow get into heaven. But Paul is going to make clear that this is not the case. So he says, the law is said to be only binding on a person while that person is still alive. In other words, the law has no impact on a dead person, right? You, you commit a crime and you're, you're in jail waiting trial, but you die while you're in jail. Guess what? They don't still have the trial, right? The law has no impact on a dead person. The law is binding on a person only as long as he lives. The word here for binding is koreo. It's to rule over, to reign over. The idea is that that the law had power over us, but the law reigns over a person only as long as they are alive, right? This truth is universally accepted, right? Not just the, the Mosaic law, but any law. So now Paul illustrates this truth by talking about the covenant of marriage, It says in verse 2, for a married woman is bound by law to her husband while he lives, but if her husband dies, she is released from the law of marriage. Now we know that Paul is talking about Old Testament law here just by even the way he illustrates this about marriage. If you go through the law, if you go through the Torah, for a woman to be separated from her husband, the only possible way for that to happen was through death. There was no no way for a woman to divorce a man, according to the Torah. Deuteronomy 24, there was some ways that a man could be separated from his wife. Deuteronomy 24, uh, verses 1 through 4. But for a woman, the only way for that to happen would have been for a husband to die. And so this is what he says. While he's still alive, they're bound by the marriage law, but if he dies... They're free from the law of marriage. This this word for release, is to abolish, it's to set aside, it's wipe out, like it's no longer there. There's no remnants of it. It's done. It's over. Then he says in verse 3, accordingly, she would be called an adulteress if she lives with another man while her husband is still alive. But if her husband dies, she is free from that law, and if she marries another man, she's not an adulteress. We understand that still today, even in the New Testament. You can see Paul, when someone, uh, hus- someone's husband died, he would encourage them to remarry if they were young. He's like, you should do that. But if a person, if a woman was to be with a man who was not her husband, while her husband is still alive, then she was, spe- she was to be called an adulteress. Now, I think it's really important Why is he using this? It's an illustration, right? He's using an illustration that what? When death happens, the law is no longer binding. Some people want to use this as a passage to talk about divorce and remarriage. Anyone see the word divorce in here? It's not there. I think MacArthur sums it up succinctly. This passage has absolutely nothing to say about divorce and cannot legitimately be used as an argument from silence that teach that divorce is never justified for a Christian and consequently consequently that only the death of a spouse gives the right to remarry. It's not... You're you're taking the text and making it say something it's not saying here, right? Paul isn't going on in chapter 6 and talking about that being free from sin through Christ... And now he's talking about the law. And wait a minute, let me talk about divorce and remarriage for just a couple verses. And then now we're going to go back to the law again. That's not what he's doing here. He's using it as an illustration that everyone would understand. That's what a good illustration does. Everyone understands if you're a woman, according to the law, the only way that you could be separated from your husband, according to the law, was what? For him to die. That's the whole point. This is what he's teaching us. If you want to talk about those things, about what, how, how does divorce and remarriage work? There's a lot of other texts that you should go to. This is not one. All right, so just, I think that's important. As we, as we study the Bible, we need to make sure that we focus on what the text is actually saying rather than reading in to the text. So, how is it that you and I have been freed from the law? Well, just look down at verse 4. Likewise, my brothers, you, have al- you also have died to the law, through the body of Christ. So his whole point of giving the analogy to state that how, does, how long is the law over someone? Until they are dead. Until someone dies is the illustration he gives in verses 2 and 3. And he's saying, guess what? Remember, as I've been teaching you in chapter 6, you died. There's so many parallels back to chapter 6 in those early verses there. He talked there in 6.2 six that we died to sin. 7.4, he says that we've died to law. How did that happen? In 6.3, he says it's through, through Christ's death. Here, he says it's through the body of Christ. Same thing. By dying, to, dying through Christ, our union with him, we die not only to the sin, but also to the law. It had to be that way, right? How is it that we would know that we are condemned because of our sin. It was through the law, right? They are, one, they, are one, they are one in the same. So, as a result of our dying with Christ, we are no longer condemned. The law is no longer our master. So we've been freed from the law. So how did that take place? We see this in our second point. We've been freed by Christ. We've been freed by Christ. Why was this freedom necessary? Why, why not just follow the law? Why not just walk in obedience to the commandments? Well, if you think back to chapter 3, it's because you can't, because you continually fall short. So we needed a new way. Again, likewise, my brothers, you have also died to the law through the body of Christ, what? So that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead in order that we may bear fruit from God, for, for God? So, the freedom from the law can only come about by our union with Christ. Again, that's so important for us to understand here this morning. It is only through Jesus that we might be freed from the condemnation of the law. That is the only way that happens. This morning, if you've placed your faith in Christ, Paul wants you to understand that through your faith in Christ, you are united to Christ's death, which resulted in you no longer having the law as the Lord over your life. Instead, as we learned last week, you have Christ as your Lord, as your master. Stott says this, For, for if to die to sin means to bear its penalty, which is death, it is the law which prescribes this penalty. Therefore, to die to sin And to die to the law are identical. Both signify that through participation in the death of Christ, the law's curse or condemnation on sin has been taken away. The death to sin is necessarily also a death to the law's condemnation. As it says in Romans 3.20, For by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. Again, that's a really important statement there in Romans 3.20. By the works of the law, can I be justified in God's sight? I cannot be. Rather, it showed me that I was condemned. Right? I cannot, in other words, I cannot do enough good to be made right with God. I continually fall short, as it said in Romans 3.23. Now, just as the freed woman, back to the illustration, just as the The woman who was married, her husband dies. Now she takes on a new spouse. So is the case for you and I as believers. It says that you also have died to the law through the body of Christ so that, what? So that you might belong to another. Your old husband, in this illustration, the law, is dead to you now. Now, the illustration isn't 100%, Right? Because um, you're dying, and then you're remarrying. Okay, so, but but you get what you get. What he's he's trying to get across here? Because of a death happening, you and I now are free to remarry. So, who is it that we now belong to? To him who has been raised from the dead. You now belong to Christ. Before the law was your husband, it was your master. Now Christ is your husband, is your master. The scriptures expand on this idea of our belonging to Christ in different passages like in Ephesians and and, uh, and 2 Corinthians. Why don't you flip over to Ephesians 5 real quick. As we think about this this illustration of marriage, we see in the Bible, there's a whole lot of talk, that, that Christ is the bridegroom and the church is his bride. And in talking about a physical marriage, a marriage between a man and a woman, he uses this illustration to talk about Christ and his church and how they're to be paralleled. As you look at Ephesians 5, you see that the relationship of a husband and wife are compared to Christ and his church. Look down at verse 23. There we see that Christ is the head of the church. Who is the head of the church? Not the pope, not some other person. It is the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the head over his church. He says what should happen in his church. Not only is he the head of the church, we also see is that he is the savior of the church. Verse 25, we see that Christ loves the church. That he gave himself up for her. That he might, what? Verse 26, sanctify her. Verse 27, his goal being that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. And then we see in verse 29 that Christ nourishes and cherishes the church. That's a pretty great spouse right there. Like, note how Christ is for his church in every way, sacrificially loving her. And just as a little side note in Ephesians 5, that's what your marriages ought to look like, right? Husbands and wives, if you want to do a little, you're like, I feel like we need a, like a refresh on our marriage. Go to Ephesians 5. Husbands, see your role. Wives, see your role and embrace that and you'd have a much better marriage this week coming than you had last week if you weren't walking in obedience to those things. I'm getting really off track here, but just a little side note here. As you're studying that text on your own, note that it does not say if the other spouse does what they're supposed to do. Right? Husbands, lead your wives. If she follows, if she doesn't, then just give up. Just do whatever you want to do. Let her, let her lead. That's a great idea. Not... Okay, that's not what the Bible, so you, husbands, you follow your role, wives, you follow your role. Okay, back to the text. What is it, what is it, here's the beautiful picture. It ought to look like what? Christ and his church. You have a new husband now if you're in the Lord Jesus Christ, and he is amazing. He is jealous for you. 2 Corinthians eleven two, 2, Paul talking about the church in Corinth, for I feel a divine jealousy for you since I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. Like think about the old husband versus the new husband. The, the old ruler versus the new ruler. Look at look at this, think about the differences. Your former spouse, the law, always telling you what to do, but never helping always pointing out the wrong that you've done and heaping condemnation on you. That was the law. This is all that the law could do. All it could do was show you how much you had fallen short. All the law could do was point out that you were full of blemishes. That's all it could do. But now you belong to Christ. He not only shows you what to do, but he comes alongside you and empowers you to do it. He gives you the Holy Spirit to give you guidance and power and wisdom. When you fall short, he does not condemn you, but instead offers forgiveness saying that he will pay for the sin that you committed. His love does not waver. He is always faithful. He has loved you sacrificially that you might be holy and without blemish. Has that been a good change? Is that that like I wish I was still under the old covenant. Does anyone think that when you understand what Paul is saying here? Note also that this is your last marriage. Who are you married to? The one who has been raised from the dead. Bruce says this, having been raised from the dead, he will die no more. Therefore, this new marriage relationship will not be broken by death as the old one was. So you are forever united to Christ if you are in Christ this morning. Why? Why is this new covenant necessary? In order that we might bear fruit for God. You could not do that on your own strength and by following the law. But now in Christ, we there's a purpose that, that, that we have been united to him. In order what? That we might bear fruit for God. Our belonging to Christ results in you and I bearing fruit for God. This is the inevitable happening to anyone who is in Christ. We've already highlighted what Christ does for his bride as we looked at Ephesians 5. So that we might bear fruit for God. His goal is that you might be sanctified, that you might be holy. As we talked about last week, when a person is saved, there's a change in their life. Paul in this next verse describes the kind of fruit you used to bear. Wait, before Christ, you bore fruit for, look down at verse 5, you bore fruit for death. Now that you're in Christ, you bear fruit for God. So, as a result of our union with Christ, we result, this results in fruit for God, for His glory. So what did your life look like beforehand, before Christ? Verse 5, for while you were li- we, we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. Beforehand, th- this is you know, this phrase in the flesh, the word is sarks. When Jesus came, he came in the sarks, okay, in the flesh. There's that physical connotation. But as we look at the context here, he's talking about moral, spiritual. Anytime he talks about us being in the flesh, it is to be opposed to the spirit. And so it's always negative. So when you were in the flesh, when you were walking in your own strength apart from Christ before your conversion, this is what he's talking about. You were still ruled by the flesh. You desired to walk in rebellion against God. It says our sinful passions were aroused by the law. In other words, the law didn't help you kill sin. All they did was make you sin more. MacArthur says this, the law in declaring what is wrong also arouses evil in the unregenerate person because his naturally rebellious nature makes him want to do the very things he learns are forbidden. You you don't believe that? Just tell your kids that they can't do something. In every single one of us, there's this rebellious nature. We want to do the very thing that we're not supposed to do. And so when a person was given the law, it didn't kill the sin. Instead, it only got it more stirred up. I mean, the best chance humanity had was in the Garden of Eden, right? How many commandments? Were there hundreds of commandments in the Garden? One commandment. Don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Don't eat from that tree. There's the tree of life here. There's other things you could do. But just don't do this one thing. And they weren't born with a sinful nature, right? So that was our best chance. And they still chose to rebel against God. This is who we are apart from Christ, it's what we do over and over and over again. We choose to walk opposite of what he says that we should do. It's interesting our society today. So we think about law, general law. How do we get rid of law or how do we get rid of crime? How do we get people rid of people doing bad things? How do we how do we stop that from happening? Well, one of the things that's being proposed more and more so is get rid of the laws. Right? If you get rid of the law, no more crime. Let's legalize marijuana. No longer have to ticket anyone for having marijuana. Done. Let's decriminalize all drug use. That's on the docket now. How does that work in God's economy? Does that work? Can we just say, you know what? We've changed our mind. We don't believe what this book says. So God no longer condemns us. What he calls sin, we don't call sin anymore. So, I guess we're good to go. We must be good with God because we changed the rules. Does that work? It does not work. The law will never change. The law of God will never change. And as you look at the law, it will what its its end purpose is to what is to bring condemnation, and you should feel the weight of the condemnation. You should feel the weight that apart from Christ, I am damned to hell. That's the, that's that's the sentence. That's what I deserve, apart from Christ, because I cannot follow His law. So, Moose says this, Sinful passions are those desires to disobey God and His law that are paradoxically exasperated by the law itself. As Paul explains more fully in uh, chapter 7, 7 through 11, which we're going to get to, the law in setting forth God's standard arouses sins by stimulating human beings' innate rebelliousness against God. When you think about those phrases, wretched man that I am. I mean, we should feel the weight of those statements when we, when we consider these things. The, the helplessness of our situation apart from Christ. Well, the fruit that we bore in the flesh, it resulted in what? Death. As we learned last week, eternal death. Rather than the law being a means of salvation, while we're still in the flesh, the law only resulted in condemnation and death. The sinful passions were at work. The the word for work is uh, energizo, I don't know, I'm terrible at Greek, okay? But the word meant, the same word that we get the word for power, It, it was the power at work within us and it resulted in death. Schreiner says this, Jewish opponents of Paul's gospel contended that freedom from the law opened the door for sin. But Paul turns the tables on them by insisting it is those who are under the law who are in bondage to sin. The Jews never found freedom under the law, and the promises of salvation had not been fulfilled. Those who are under the law cannot yield good fruit and will have the penalty of death pronounced over them. As we're going to continue in our study of chapter 7, we're going to see that, that pattern of Israel. What was the pattern? They could not follow the law. They failed over and over and over again. And despite God's graciousness to them over and over again, they repeated the problem. This is why we needed a new covenant, which is what we see in verse verse 6, our last point. We're freed to live. We've been freed from the law. We've been freed by Christ, and we've been freed to live. Look at what it says in verse 6. But now we are released from the law having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the Spirit, not in the old way of the written code. You were living in the flesh. You were enslaved in sin. You were under the condemnation of the law and destined for eternal death. But now, but now, because of what Christ has done, because you have now died with Him, we are released from the law you were no longer held captive by the law. Doesn't that give you a picture of your desperate situation beforehand? Captive to the law. Only way to be freed from that captivity was through Jesus Christ. To what end? Is Paul saying, so that you might sin away, so that you might break every law that God ever wrote. Is that, is that to the, to the end of it? No, the end is this. So that, purpose, we serve in the new way of the Spirit and not in the old way of the written code. The result of our being freed from the law is, that, is not so that we might have a license to sin, but that we might serve and bear fruit for God. Indeed, the person who has been united to Christ desires to do so due to being made a new creation, due to their newfound relationship in the Lord Jesus Christ. You now have a new husband. Stott puts it like this, why do we serve? Not because the law is our master and we have to, but because Christ is our husband and we want to. Not because obedience leads to salvation, but because salvation leads to obedience. A new covenant has been established. When he talks about this old versus the new, it reminds us of what Jeremiah talked about. Again, I encourage you to write these things down. But Jeremiah 31, 31 to 34. Just listen to what he says in these verses. Jeremiah 31 to 34. Sorry, Jeremiah 31, verses 31 to 34. He says this, Jeremiah, talking about the future. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel, with the house and the house of jo- Judah. Now listen, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. Old covenant, with the people of Israel, with the people of Judah. I was their husband. I, w- I brought them out of Egypt. I freed them from their slavery. But they broke my law. God was faithful. They were unfaithful. But there's a new covenant coming. Verse 33. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them. And I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. This is the covenant that you and I now live under through Jesus Christ. We have forgiveness of sins through Christ's blood. In the moment, we're going to partake in the Lord's Supper. And Jesus says, this is the new covenant in my blood. He initiated a new way. It was the only way that we might be saved. We have centuries and centuries of proof to show that we could never follow the law in ourselves. We needed a new way. We needed his spirit to lead us. 2 Corinthians 3, if you want to study a little bit more on this idea of the old letter of the law versus the new way of the Spirit, 2 Corinthians 3, the whole chapter talks about it. But I want to just highlight a few verses here, it's verses 3 to 6. And you show that you are a letter from Christ delivered by us. He's talking, this is Paul talking to the church in Corinth, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone but on tablets of human hearts. Such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God, not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything is coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God, who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit, for the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Because of what Christ has done, because when you placed your faith in him, he gave you a new heart. He made you a new creation. He empowered you with His Holy Spirit. We are now united with God. We are now His children. We, in this illustration, we are now His bride. And He's caring for us and He's helping us along the way. Before, we could not do what we were being asked to do. Before, as it says at the end of chapter, or sorry, 2 Corinthians 3, verse 6, for the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Now we are able to live as we ought to live. What does that fruit look like looking back to verse 4? One of the pictures we're given is in Galatians 5, 22 and 23. For the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Listen, against these things... There is no law. Here's the irony. In giving us His Spirit, now we do walk by the law. As we're going to continue in chapter 7, we're going to see that we are able to truly love the law. We're able to walk in what God calls us to only by the power of His Spirit, and we desire to do so because of the change of heart that He's given us. Really, what this text is telling us in verses 1 through 6 is that before, it was impossible to please God. Under your old master, the law, you were destined to fail. But now, under the new covenant, under your new relationship to the Lord Jesus Christ, you are now able to walk in obedience to God. This this illustration that was told. Um, there, was a, there was a missionary to the Batek tribesmen. And he was told that he could stay for two years. That was the limit. The people would allow him to stay for two years. And during that time, he studied the customs and traditions that ruled the people. At the end of that time, the chief asked him if there was anything in the Christian religion that differed from the traditions of the Batek. We too have laws that say we must not steal, nor take our neighbor's wife, nor bear false witness, the chief said. The missionary answered quietly, my master gives the power to keep his laws. The chief was startled. Can you teach my people that? He asked. No, I cannot, the missionary said, but God can give them that power if they ask for it and listen to his word. The missionary was permitted to stay another six months. During that time, he taught just one thing, the power of God. At the end of the time, the chief said, stay. Your law is better than ours. Ours tells us what we ought to do. Your God says, come, I will walk with you and give you the strength to do the good thing. There are reports that there are now over 450,000 Christians amongst the Batic people. That's what the gospel does. In the old way, you tried to earn your way Somehow. You tried to follow the law, and what the people found over and over and over again, the only thing that the law did was show them that they were really bad sinners. It had no power to save them, but now through Christ, we now have the power to walk in his ways. We've been freed from the old master, and we've been now united with Jesus Christ. Is that true of you this morning? Are you living under the old covenant still? thinking that you can somehow earn your way into heaven if I just do enough good things, God's going to be happy with me. I hope I did enough. I hope he's happy with me. Or are you living under the new covenant where Christ is your husband when he is for you, not against you, where he's given you his spirit that you might have the power to walk in his ways? I pray that everyone here this morning could say, I'm living, praise God, under the new covenant. And every day as I wake up, I'm praying, God, By your spirit, lead me, guide me this day, that I might bear fruit for you. What an awesome God. What an awesome gospel that we have. In these days, with so much confusion, may this message come from here and out into the world as you leave this place. May God use you as his servants to proclaim that there is hope through the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me pray. Lord God, we're so thankful for your word. Thank you that even this day you are freeing people from the demands of the law. That that today you are freeing them from condemnation and through Jesus Christ, you are granting them new life. Lord, we are so thankful that our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, fulfilled the law. That he walked in perfection. And as a result of that, Lord, we have now that perfection in him. That that righteousness has been credited to all who put their hope in him. And that, Lord, now you're doing a good work in your people. You are day in and day out changing them. You're transforming them. Lord, you're giving them the power to walk in faithfulness to you. That you might be glorified, and that your people might bear much fruit for your glory. God, forgive us for trying to achieve a righteousness of our own. Lord, we know that the new covenant is so much better. Lord, thank you that you are a God who cares, who loves that even now, the struggles that your people face, Lord, that you are there. You are helping them. And Lord, if they would just renew their trust in you, Lord, you would give them victory day in and day out as they walk by the power of your spirit. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this sermon from Redemption Church, Calgary North. For more information about our church, visit redemptioncalgarynorth.com.